you will turn to John 14. We are going to continue our, our series today that we are calling Context. And for some of our visitors, and we are in a series where we are looking at some of the most abused, um, uh, misapplied, uh, distorted passages in the Bible. I was thinking about it even as they turned that fan off. Good news is, about two weeks, the air should be fixed. They're working on it, I promise you. We'll miss the squeaking of that fan. We, I know you'll miss it. You're going to miss it. When it's gone, you're going to miss it. But uh, we are in a series um, where we are looking at some of the most abused, uh, taken out of context passages in the Bible. We've looked at Matthew 7 and 1, and he says, Do not judge, lest you be judged. We looked at Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, and I am there with you also. We looked at Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We looked at 2 Chronicles 7, 14, If my people who are called by my name, if they'll just humble themselves and seek my face, then I will uh, forgive them of their sins and I will heal their land. And and, and I heard from some of you that that was a hard one for you to take, that, that that passage was speaking to Israel and speaking to a specific people and not necessarily America. We looked last week at, at Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we looked at the context there in regards to contentment and, and what that means. And today we look at, in John 14, we look at specifically verse 13 in the context and this is a passage that um, Christians have abused this is a passage that uh, health and wealth gospel proclaimers abuse just hey name it and claim it and it's yours here's the passage that that tells it's true this is good theology uh, your health and wealth gospel they'll they'll claim this one but even us as Christians I'm not sure if we really understand what this passage is what this passage means do we just do we just tack on in the name of Jesus at the end of our prayers and does that qualify obedience to this verse or w w is there something else what what is Jesus saying here because if we're honest as Christians our prayers go unanswered seemingly this is probably is not the experience that many of us have had you know, I was reminded yesterday while we were at um, Rock the Universe with our students, I realized a lot of things yesterday. Number one, I'm getting old quick. <laughs> and what is late has gotten earlier, much, much earlier. By 10 o'clock anymore, I'm done. I used to could do whatever and just go, go, go. By 10 o'clock, I'm done. It got to be about 10 o'clock last night. I'm thinking, I got to drive home. I got to stay awake and drive home. These kids are all asleep in the car. And then other y'all stayed out till didn't get home till 3 o'clock. That was not me. I needed to preach. You don't want to know what comes out of this mouth if I went to bed at 3 o'clock. So if people around you fall asleep, give them the benefit of the doubt. Chad, Stacy, some others, if they fall asleep, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that it's not that I'm boring. It's that you're tired. But I got a call yesterday uh, that a, a, a friend of mine, and some of you guys know him, he has six children under my son and younger, middle school and younger, and he died yesterday, suddenly. You know, and as I was sitting there last night and I'm thinking about this sermon, life is tough. Living in a sinful, fallen world is tough. 
and, and you come to these passages, and if we don't, if we're not careful, you know, these passages can be difficult. Because I'm certain, I, I thought about, you know, all last night, I, even this morning as I drove in here, I thought about that wife. Wait, what's it going to be like this morning when she wakes up with six kids that don't have a dad? I was thinking about just the, even this morning driving in here, I was thinking, what would, what would even breakfast be like? I mean, what do you even, what do, you even do for breakfast? I mean, I, and this may be speaking to my own, you know, immaturity or whatever, but I thought... It, how would I even have, bre- what would breakfast be like with just Bradley and Sarah Grace? What would I tell them? Their dad's gone. And, and the health and wealth gospel, they'll, they'll come to passages like this and they'll abuse them and they'll say, well, if, if your faith was greater, the problem is your faith. If your faith was greater, you know, these things wouldn't happen. Or if your faith was greater, you could do this. Or if your faith was greater, you could do that. And they'll claim these passages. And that's just simply not true. It's not true. And so I want us to be a, a church that rightly divides the Word of God. And so I, I want to look at these passages. And I'm not trying to, hear me, I, I'm a people pleaser. I'm not trying to rob your joy in some of your favorite passages. I've already heard. I know some of your favorite passages have just been ripped out from under you. And, and, and I'm not trying to do that, but I want us to handle the Word rightly. Please hear that. And so in John 14, listen to what he says. Let's just look at the verse in and of itself, and then we'll talk about the context. We'll build a little bigger context here. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I mean, if you can see the danger, if you just pull that verse out on its own and stick that on a wall, stick that on a plaque, crochet that on a blanket, all the different things that... That, that this verse is probably showed up on. And I'm not, I don't mean to offend you when I'm saying I'm not trying to be cute. I'm just saying, if you, if you just take that verse alone, if whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. What is that verse saying? That's a dangerous verse. If, if, we, just take it, if we just take it like that. And that's what I wanted to do today. I want us to see this is a beautiful verse. This is an amazing verse. And I hope you've seen that in all of these verses. They're amazing verses in their context. And there certainly are applications for us. But we, we need to stick things in their context. And so as, as I've done in each of these, I want, us to give, I want to give us, first of all, the context of the Gospel of John first. I want to give us the context of the letter. All of these verses are found in the context of not only a greater letter, but a greater book, a greater story, the grand narrative of the Bible itself. So I want to I look at the, the, the context of the, the Gospel of John first, and then I want to look at the context of, of right where this verse sits within that context, within the context of John, within the letter of John. This verse sits in a specific spot on purpose, and I want to look at that, and then I want to apply it. And, and it, I think the, the application will be clear to some of us and, and just things that God has taught me in my own in my own life and in my own prayers. But but first of all, the context of John, and that's point one on your handout. Here's a handout in your horizon. You can follow with me and fill in the blanks if you want, if that helps. If you want a binder, there's some binders down here if you're visiting and we, we encourage you to put these in a binder and keep them. You can go back to them hopefully. The purpose of the Gospel of John is to present clear 
and convincing evidence that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that so that you would believe that this is true. John is writing that his audience would believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that, that Israel, that even the Gentiles now need look no further. Their, their Messiah has come and His name is Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. There's no more, no more uh, rams, goats, bulls, all those things. Where they were pointing was Jesus Christ. And God, God offered His Son the perfect lamb. If you go back to the beginning of John, you'll see John the Baptist, he says, Behold, when he sees Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That, that is the reason John is writing that you would believe it. And, and you don't have to be a, a theologian, you don't have to be a doctor in theology to know that. Turn over to John 20. The, these are, John kind of puts the fruit low on the tree so you can know very clearly why he wrote this gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, but why he wrote this gospel. John 20, verse 31. Uh, if some of you write in your Bible, some of you think that's, that's terrible to write in your Bible. I write in my Bible, and, and I'll, I'll star things, and, and I have the word purpose written here, and it's key verse. But these... He starts in verse 30, and we'll get to the verse 30, but he, he says, But these, these things that I have written, these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. John has picked, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, obviously, John has picked certain miracles, certain words of Jesus and His life and he has recorded those so that those who are reading would believe that Jesus is the Christ. That he is the Messiah. That salvation comes through no one else other than Jesus Christ. His aim in writing is that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. I think if we were honest, that that one thing right there, you, you, we, I think we have a tr fall in the trap of just thinking about believing. It, it, or believe, well, I do that. This letter is not important to me. No, no. I guarantee you, if our belief, if we ratcheted up our belief, it'd change our lives. If we really believed what we say we really believe about Jesus, our lives would be different. And John is writing that we would believe. Every word, every miracle, every detail recorded is specifically done to bring people to a point in their life that they would believe that Jesus is the Christ. And the goal of John, you'll see it on your handout, is to bring his readers to a place of faith and accordingly new life in Christ's name. You can go all the way back, we won't go there, but John 3, even the story of Nicodemus, truly I say to you, unless you have been born again, new life in Christ, all the evidence that he puts forth is to prove that Jesus is the Christ. That there's no other. And, and not only that, Jesus, John will show us how divisive the name of Jesus can be. He consistently shows the, the, the challenges that families were divided, friends were divided. And here's the thing, here's what John says. You either commit yourself to Jesus and are saved, or you look to another and you're not saved. There's only two options. In the, clearly, we, we, we love to, well, I'm thinking about it. Listen, you're either for him or you are against him. 
There's no middle of the road. It is, there are two camps. Jesus alone camp for salvation, or every, every other false god without Jesus camp in salvation. There's only, does your, and John is saying there's only one way to get to the Father, and it's through Jesus Christ alone. Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus singularly and purposefully separated himself out from all the other gods. So any, any religion that's going to tell you, hey, there's a bunch of ways to get to heaven, don't put Jesus in that bunch of ways. Because he has excluded himself from the bunch of ways. He's the only way. There's one way. And in our culture, we'll say, oh, well, that's, we can't deal with that. Why so narrow? Why, so narrow? Why is there only one way? That, that is, that God certainly would create more ways than that. The, the greater question, guys, is not why, it's not why there's only one way. It's, it's why is there a way at all? Why, why would God, a holy God, crucify His Son so that sinners now can be in His presence and be forgiven? That's the question. The, the amazing grace that we sung about is that why God would make any way at all for sinners to get to Him. And as Daniel said, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates His love for this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what John is saying. Believe in Christ, friend. I, I, I'm, I, I, I think about Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 5.20 where he says we're ambassadors. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's no way to be reconciled to God but through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel of John. And he sets forth to give an account of the words and the works that Jesus performed and to prove that salvation was found in no one else other than Jesus Christ. You, you, can, look at, you can look at John 20. Listen to John 20. We read 31, but in John 20, 30, he says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. There's more that John could have written. But these have been written so that you would believe. John picked these under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say that, that, that many, many volumes could, could have been written had he been trying to give you a detailed account. The point is this. The miracles, they were not an accident. Even, even you, you'll, you'll see where John the Baptist, he's in prison, he's about to be killed, and he, goes to, he sends his, his guys to Jesus, and he says, Ask him, are you the Messiah, or should we be looking for another? And Jesus says this. Tell John the Baptist this. The lame walk. The blind see, the deaf hear, the, the, the mute speak. He's quoting Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 there. They said this, you'll know the Messiah by this, exactly that. The lame, the lame will walk, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the mute will speak. Jesus is saying, look at the evidence. These miracles aren't haphazard. They're not, they're not just random, hey, let me see what I can work out here. No, they're specifically coordinated to the Old Testament for them to see this is our Messiah. These are evidences to look for. The, the Old Testament said, look for this to happen when the Messiah comes. Well, guess what you see in the life of Jesus? Exactly what was promised in the Old Testament the Messiah would do. What he would speak, what he would do. This is fulfilling. He's saying you are, Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament. He is the Messiah that you've been looking for your whole history. He's the way. He's the lamb that God promised long ago.
He's it. That John writes to that purpose. He, he writes to explain that. You can look at John 10, 25. Just, just, just listen to this. He says, I, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. Why did Jesus do what he did? To prove that he was the Messiah. The only way. And the words and the works of Jesus are specific to prove that he is indeed the Messiah. We, to prove why, why do we need to believe in Christ? Because we are sinners we have fallen short of the glory of God. We have, our sin alienates ourselves from our Father. And in God's great love, He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross. Why? Because Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the sacrifice, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Because He said in Hebrews 9.27, It is destined for man to die once and after that to face judgment. And the options for us are this. You can face judgment on your own for your own sin, or you can look to Jesus Christ and see His judgment as your judgment for your sin. He can be your substitute. That's the gospel. And, and we as a people, John is writing, because we as a people have to make, you, you have to make a decision about who Jesus is. Will you believe upon Jesus Christ alone, alone for the forgiveness of your sin? And John is writing to prove that, Je that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Christ. Jesus has come to, to reveal God. You look at John 1, no one has seen the God but the, but the one who is in his bosom. He has revealed him, John 1.18. He has come to reveal God's, God's kingdom, his plan, if you will, for salvation. That's the broad text of the Gospel of John. Understanding who Jesus is, understanding His mission, understanding that Jesus came to fulfill God's plan to reconcile sinners to, to Himself, and to ultimately call, bring people to the point of, who do you say that I am? That's Mark 8, 29. Who, he was asked, Jesus was asking the disciples, who do the people say that I am? They give all this list of answers. You know, He said to the disciples, who do you say that I am? That's the question I would ask every single one of you in here today. Who do you say that Jesus is? That one answer. That one answer. Probably the most important answer you'll ever give. Who is Jesus Christ? Do you believe? Have you placed all your eggs, so to speak, in His basket? That He is who He says He is. That though we die, we will not die as believers. We will be ushered into the presence of our King. Why? Because we have believed upon Jesus Christ alone. That's what John writes about. Belief in Jesus. That's the context of the letter. Reveals God's, God's mission, his, his plan for salvation, that it is through Jesus. Secondly, you see on your handout as we start to narrow the focus a little bit. The secondly, what is the, what is the context in which we find this verse? How does this verse play into the context of John? How does this verse further and prove what John was writing to do? And you'll see there, number two, the context of John 14 is the promise of divine provision in order to accomplish Jesus' mission even in His absence. Even in His absence. Jesus is speaking to His disciples here. 
It, the context is that Jesus is explaining to them uh, they, they're, they're going to have, they're gonna have their, their, their last supper. He's going to explain his departure. He's, gonna explain, he's explaining that Peter will deny him. He explains in this context that one of the disciples will betray him. And what he does, he, he says, look, in my absence, in my absence, I'm going to give you and make available to you all the resources you need to further the mission in my absence. That's what he's saying here. Jesus says, you as my disciples will continue my mission. And what he says is astounding. He says in verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do. We're going to talk about that. But he's telling them, he is giving them encouragement. You go back to the beginning of John 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He, you can imagine if you were a disciple, you've left everything to follow Jesus. And now all of a sudden he says he's dying and, and is leaving. You can imagine what they must have been going through. And what we find in this context is that Jesus is assuring his disciples that they are being handed over to the care of God and that when he departs, they will have everything they need to be fully equipped to carry on his mission. This verse literally is Jesus explaining the transition that is going to take place. I'm leaving and I'm handing you the baton to carry on the mission. That, that's what Jesus is doing right here. I'm handing you over to the care of the Father. What he's saying to them is you're going to have to trust the Father for all your resources. But again, this is still about belief, and this is still about the mission. This is about the gospel. This is about the carrying on of seeking and saving the lost. These disciples are going to have to come to a point where they believe in Christ in spite of his absence, that they follow Christ in spite of his absence. And what Jesus explains is that God is going to work through them and He is going to accomplish His will through them even in greater ways than He has up to this point. And that is an astounding verse. Because again, they've seen the miraculous. They've seen the miracles. And He says, you know what? In, in some way, and we'll explain what I believe He means there, you're going to see even greater works and greater miracles through you and the resources that my Father provides to you. All of this is in relation to God's work and God's will. This is about, this verse is about God continuing His work through the disciples to seek and save the lost and to take the gospel places that it had never been before. And, and what Jesus is promising is that God is going to give you, He is promising divine resources and accomplishment for that work. All of this part of God's plan. That's what Jesus is explaining. He says, I'm going to leave and go to the Father and you will do greater works when I'm gone. You see, everything that he says is attached, again, to God's plan. Predetermined plan. The birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection. Predetermined plan of God. What Jesus is saying is when I leave... When I leave, you see it on your handout, I'm going I'm to give you the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit is going to come and He's going to empower your future ministry through the Spirit. That's where He goes with this immediately. Look at, look at verse 16 of chapter 14. I will ask the Father 
and he will give you another helper. That word another in the Greek, it means of the same kind. Literally what Jesus is saying is when I leave you, my father is going to give you a helper of the exact same kind as if I were with you. That's what he's saying. The spirit in them will be the same and will give them power as if Jesus was amongst them. But except it's going to take the relationship to the Father really to a whole new level. Look at verse 18. Again, comfort. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Look at John 14, 26. But the Helper, again, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things, and He will bring to remembrance all the things that I've told you. How do we have the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God? Because the Holy Spirit did exactly what he told him to do, what he, what he was intentioned to do, rather. You look at 2 Peter 1.20, seeing that no prophecy of Scripture ever came about by man's own interpretation, but men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again, that right there sets this book apart from every other so-called religious book. The Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith found these tablets up in a tree, wrote the stuff down. Nobody, nobody knows where the tablets are. Nobody else, nobody else, the Koran, these guys got together and they just tried to remember all the sayings of Muhammad, just tried to pool them together, and then one guy basically burned all the other copies and said, oh, mine's right, mine's perfect. You see the difference? That, that's why the Book of Mormon has been edited many, many times. This book has not been edited, it's perfect. Why? Because God spoke through the Holy Spirit, and moved the writers along to write exactly what they were meant to say. And J Jesus is promising them in John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit is going to bring to remembrance everything I taught you. Everything. And that's good news. Listen, my wife can't hardly send me to the grocery store without me making at least three calls. Like, we'll, we'll wager on what's the over-under on how many calls. I don't remember stuff. Why, why is this book perfect? Why has it not been edited? Why is, it, why is it one message, 40 different authors, 1,500 years, multiple continents? Why? Because the Holy Spirit. Because God is the author, ultimately. And he's saying, I'm going to leave you with a new teacher, a new comforter. Again, the, the message here is about belief. It's about kingdom. And, and listen, not only you say, well, not only will they have power... But they're going to have the advantage of hindsight. Never before will they, will, they, will they be able to point back to the completed work of Jesus Christ. Think about that. They will be able to point back to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything up to this point, you've been looking forward to an event that had not occurred. He's saying from now on, you will be looking back to an, an agreed, definitive moment of time where, the, where, where I died, I was buried, and I was resurrected. A definitive point in history to speak, to empower, to fuel the mission of Christ. Everything that I've promised you that I was going to do, you will have seen it done. There will be an empty tomb. And Jesus' work will be fuller and it will make total sense once it's all accomplished. And that finished work, along with the power of the Holy Spirit would produce more converts than Jesus ever saw in his lifetime through the disciples. The gospel will be more widespread than ever before. Look, Jesus was isolated. If you, if you traced, if you 
If you put one of these apps on his, on his iPhone and you traced his steps, like if I go for a run, the rare occasion that I go running, I hate running, I'll put this thing on my phone and it'll tell me, how it'll have a blue line that shows where I went. And it'll, if you were to do that, Jesus, he stayed in a relatively finite area, small area, small area. And what he's going to do is he's, saying, he's going to send the disciples out everywhere. Acts 1.8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The, the gospel will be spread in ways never before. Greater in that sense. But again, the provision of this and the purpose of this prayer and this, this resource provision is the glory of God. It's the kingdom of God. It's the advancement of the gospel. It's finishing completing, if you will, Jesus' mission. This is about the glory of God and leading people to faith in Christ as the Messiah, as the, the only way men are sa- and women are saved and forgiven of their sins. Everything was purposed on leading people to, a, to, a, to have to make a decision about who Jesus Christ is. All, everything, even this provision. Again, this is God providing divine resources to guarantee the accomplishment of his mission even through through the disciples i dare say even through you and me as we'll see in his absence and the key again the key to this is again you he says in my name whatever you ask in my name we we need to learn this in luke 11 the disciples ask jesus teach us how to pray i i would bet that that would be a course that all of us would be well um, blessed by taking. Teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray. And in here he says, you, you pray in my name. I mean, again, is this something that we just, we ask all this in the name of Jesus, amen? Is that, is that what that means? That's good. Don't hear me saying that's a bad practice. You, you, hopefully when you say that, you're submitting your request to, to his authority and to his sovereignty, and, and your, your, your heart hopefully is coming to that point. But, but in the name of Jesus, is, is, it, is it something that we just add because, hey, I got a better chance of getting it answered? If I throw that in? Is this like a magical, you know, uh, pixie dust that we just sprinkle over our prayers and all of a sudden, boom, well, I, I did it in Jesus' name. He has to answer it now. What, what is it? When, when you study what that phrase means in the name, when, what the phrase in my name literally points to is that we are to do and to seek everything in a manner that is consistent with who Christ is, with consistent with what he taught and consistent with what he stands for. That is the, his kingdom. It's literally, it's literally saying, not my will, but your will, God. I want everything to be consistent and to be about your kingdom. I'm your representative. Everything in my life is to be about your business, God, not mine. Not mine. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. That is the business. That is the agenda. That is the kingdom that you and I believers are to be about, not ours. This prayer was not meant to further my kingdom. It was meant to further God's kingdom. Not my agenda, God's agenda. Listen, a person's name in that day refers to everything that that person stood for and everything that that person was about. 
It spoke to a person's life purpose and the substance, everything. And think about it, even today, you, you, you mention a name and stuff comes to mind. The Proverbs talks about a good name is to be treasured above fine jewels. A name. And the key, the key to the effectiveness of, of our prayers is God's glory and His will. To pray in such a way that seeks what the Father seeks. That seeks God's will, not our will. That seeks His ways, not our ways. That seeks the advancement of His kingdom, not the advancement of our kingdom. That's what it means to pray in His name. And the purpose, the purpose you see on your handout behind all of this is the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom. He is promising divine resources to His soldiers. John Piper, I'll, I'll never forget John Piper, one of my favorite pastors, authors. He, he comes on the, the radio some, or our kids will say, hey, is that, is that your favorite? You know, I, I, John, James 2 says we shouldn't have favorites, so I tell him, don't, don't. Dad doesn't have favorites, he don't sin like that. But uh, um, I do have favorites, unfortunately, though. It's one that I like a lot. And John Piper said this, he has famously quoted regarding this, this verse. Listen to what he says about this verse and prayer. He says, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom for ringing up the butler to change the thermostat. It is a wartime walkie-talkie to call in firepower because the enemy is greater than we are. If you try to turn prayer into a domestic intercom to bring in another pillow, it malfunctions and you wonder why. It is not made to be an intercom. It is made to be a wartime walkie-talkie. Strong. Prayer is not a means of getting God to give us what we want so that our lives can be more of what we want them to be. Safe and comfortable, and easy. That's not prayer. Prayer is the means by which we ask God to extend and advance His kingdom through us on earth. And that prayer is my way of saying, I can't do this on my own, God. Give me the divine resources to fulfill your agenda for my life. Your kingdom, not my kingdom, and your will advance, not my will. At whatever the cost. There, to be certain, there is a place in prayer for us to submit our needs. But even at the center of those requests is a humility that submits ultimately to God's sovereignty. God is a good father. It was funny, yesterday when we were in, when we were in Orlando, Bradley was there with me and, you know, kids can be, they, I think they think they can be subtle, but we get the message. I couldn't, if I had a dollar for every time that boy mentioned Dippin' Dots, I could have bought him Dippin' Dots. <laughs> I don't think we walked by a Dippin' Dots place where he mentioned dipping dots. Hey, you ain't getting dipping dots. I done spent way too much money on this thing already. You're not getting dipping dots. Them dipping dots would be melted before you get a spoon in them. It was so hot. But, I mean, every time he would talk about dipping dots. Dipping dots. You know, and, and, and I, I, I was thinking about it. Is that, is that, is that the way I am? He, he's got to trust me. He, he made the request known. Trust me. I got it, Brad. I got it. You want dipping dots. But guess what? I'm your daddy, and we ain't paying $1,900 for dipping dots. You, I mean, the Basham household, ask my wife, we hate paying for stuff, ice cream outside. You pay more for a scoop of ice cream, you could buy the whole gallon at Publix. 
You're not getting it, son. But you know what? He made his request. And he's got to trust, he's got to trust his father. And guess what? The answer to Dippin' Dots was no. It don't violate my love for him. It doesn't violate my care for him. It's just I know better. You're not getting it. And, and that's the way it is. God is in control of our mission. We're not calling the shots. Our lives as believers exist for the expansion and the spread of God's kingdom, not our own. We are here for His agenda, His bidding, not our own. He did not save us and leave us so that we could just enjoy the accoutrements of the world. He saved us and left us here that we would advance the gospel and share with others the same good news by which, he, by His grace, we've been shared with. That's why we exist. That's why we're still here. And God does that even in the death of one of his saints. I'm doing a, a funeral on Friday for one of those dear saints. A, a wonderful soldier, Miss Doris. That's why we exist. And that's why prayer exists. Why? Because we are in a spiritual battle. Hebrews 6. I mean, Ephesians 6. We're in a spiritual battle. And we need, we need reinforcements. And, and the walkie-talkie, the prayer that God has given us, the, the access to the commanding general while we're out on the battlefield is to be used for, for reinforcements and things regarding the battle, the things re regarding advancing His kingdom, not our comforts. And the promise God makes is that, look, when you, when you need backup, I got your backup. When you need resources for the war, I got your resources for the war. When you're interested in advancing my mission and my kingdom, I got your back. Ask whatever you want in my name. And that leads us, okay, so the third thing on your handout, that leads us to the application. When we believe in Jesus and seek His kingdom and will in, our in and through our lives, we can be ensured of answered prayers and that we will do greater works than Jesus did. Think about that for a second. Greater works than Jesus did. Over in John 17, 4, we see this. And, and before that, John 17, 3, that's why that, that verse is really the key to this church. This is eternal life, that all may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. Why did He send Him? Look at verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus himself came to do the work of the Father, to seek and save the lost. To give his life up as a ransom, as a rescue for sinners. That's the work. That's his mission. He did not come to do his own will. He did not come to seek his own glory. He came to seek the glory and the will of the Father. The reality is, is you and I, again, have been left here as believers and equipped as believers to do that. If you keep reading in John 17, listen to verses 13 through 21 of John 17. Jesus is praying here. He's, he says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have joy full in themselves. You have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. 
as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. You see what he's saying? We, have here, we are here to carry on his mission. For their sakes I sanctify myself, and they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20 and 21 are, are where I'm leading to. Listen to what Jesus prays. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, that would be the disciples, but for those who believe in me through their word. You catch that? Jesus literally, if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus was praying for you right here. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. That's the disciples he's talking to. But I, but, but I ask for those who believe in me through their word. How do you and I believe in Jesus Christ? Through the word of the disciples. John 14, 26, God spoke, the Holy Spirit helped them remember, and then the Holy Spirit wrote, they wrote it down. We are believing through their word that they may be one, unity, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Why are we here? That the world might believe that, they, that God sent his Son into the world to die for sinners. That's why we're here. That's what this verse is promising, and I'm going to give you all the resources needed to accomplish that mission. Not to make your life easier and to glorify yourself. Jesus is our pattern for how our lives are to be spent in submission to the Father and to His will. Jesus is our pattern. And, and again, they would realize at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them, the reality of this. And the fullness of what Jesus says there, greater works. After the Holy Spirit comes, Peter, Peter preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people get saved and baptized. More in one sermon than Jesus saw in his whole life. Greater works. Why? The Holy Spirit. It was the gospel spreading through the disciples. God's work advancing His kingdom through the resources He provided. And I want to be clear on what I believe Jesus means here by greater. There's a whole lot of abuse here. I don't believe He's saying you're going to do greater miracles. Listen to me, I've not seen anything better than walking on water. I, I, don't, I don't know where you go after that. You know, I, I mean, two loaves and, 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 and a fish... I'm panicked every Sunday supper. Do we have enough food out there to just feed 200 of y'all, much less 5,000? You know, I mean, I don't think he's talking about greater in the sense of more miraculous. I think what he's saying is through the gift of the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through God living through you in the person of the Holy Spirit, what you're going to experience is, 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 is greater in number, you see that in Peter, 3,000 get saved, but greater in geography. No longer would it be isolated to a small area. It would be Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Go, spread out and go. And, and I think that is what is meant here. What is meant here by greater is no longer that Jesus' presence would be limited to one place at one time. All of his believers, all of his followers spread out geographically would have the, the presence in them, the Holy Spirit in them, and they would be the disciples all over the word, preaching and teaching the word, preaching and teaching the gospel. And that's Acts 1.8. You see that immediately after the Holy Spirit comes. And I think it's fueled again by the fact that never before had the gospel message been preached by looking back 
at a crucified and risen Savior. It was finished at that point. It was a past act that was a definitive historical moment, absolute, his death, burial, resurrection. For the first time, their work would be, again, fueled by looking back at a historical fact. And again, everything here was built upon his departure, his death, his burial, his resurrection. The message of the gospel of Christ would point people what? To a resurrected Savior. And again, the context, the context is key. I hope you see it. This is a promise about advancing God's kingdom and God's agenda on earth and all the resources necessary to do that. It's not about our own. Everything here was connected to Jesus' glory, the Father's glory, the Father's mission. When, when we speak the gospel, when we share the gospel, when we, when we say to somebody, apart from belief in Jesus Christ, you will die face judgment, and spend eternity in hell. We have the authority of God to speak that as truth. We have power to speak that. It's true. No man enters the presence of the Father. No one goes to heaven except through Jesus Christ alone. And we have all the resources needed at our disposal to accomplish that mission. He did not leave us as orphans. He did not leave us ill-equipped. There is no limit. What he's saying is this. You see it on your handout. There is no limit to the power of prayer that glorifies Christ in his name through the advancement of the gospel. I mean, I, I talked just this morning to a guy. He didn't know I was preaching on this. He just came in to give me a praise. There's a man in this, in this congregation today. For 10 years, he was praying. he's been praying that his son would call him. And his son called him just the other day. First time in 10 years. Ten years, God answered the prayer. Our, our goal in prayer is to see God glorified and the gospel advanced no matter what. That's the goal of prayer, to glorify Christ, to further His mission. Pray, prayer is us confessing our reliance and dependence upon Christ. Prayer is not a way for you and I to tell God how to run His universe. It's not a way for you and I to tell God that you're not giving me my dipping dots. That, that's not prayer. It, prayer is a humble acceptance of the will of God. And, and it, it, it's, 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 it's the, tr the reality that we trust in the fact that a good Father, a good God will provide sufficient grace to help us understand and accept whatever is given. And, and here's the illustration. When, when I think about how prayer maybe has been hijacked or, or how this, this verse has been abused, uh, so, some of you in here, like myself, have a corporate credit card. I have a credit card in my wallet that is tied to Idlewild Baptist Church, and my name is on it. Okay, Idlewild has given me the authority up to a specific limit it's, it's, it's up to a specific limit. To, a, to go out and purchase anything that I deem necessary to further the mission of Christ. Agreed? They, they have pre-approved me and said, Chris, 
If it, if it advances the gospel, if it grows people up in Christ, if it is, if it is for our mission, it is for, if it is for our agenda, Idaho Baptist Church says this, we pre-approve you to go spend it. You, you, I authorize you, Chris, to go use this card for whatever means furthers the gospel. All the resources you need to accomplish that mission, they're right here. Now think about this. What would happen... If I took that card and I used it for my own agenda, what, what if I found out that I was paying my mortgage on that card? Jail? Maybe. Firing, for sure. For sure. I mean, think about that. The card is, is for the advancement of Idawad's mission for accessing resources to further their mission, which is God's mission, by the way. It's the gospel. Them providing it comes with a responsibility. Listen, to, to take that card and to use it for myself, that's called fraud. That's called theft. That's called a misappropriation of funds. My, my question is, might some of us be guilty of that from a spiritual standpoint? Might some of us in here be, be guilty of a misappropriation of funds? The funds that God has equipped us with and given us to further His agenda, maybe we're using them for our own agenda. Maybe we're guilty of a misappropriation of talents. M maybe we're guilty of a misappropriation of time. I'm just throwing it out there. M maybe it's a misappropriation of prayer. We've taken something purposed to further the gospel and his mission, and we've instead used it for our own. This is God's promise, divine promise, to provide the resources needed to accomplish his mission. Listen, we, we should not be fearful in asking God of anything. Hebrews is very clear all throughout. In Romans 8, we can, we can boldly approach God crying out, Abba, Father. We have a spirit of adoption in us. He's our Father. Approach Him. But we have to submit these to Him and humbly accept whatever He says. And, and we have to be about the Father's business. And, and in our prayers, we, we are very good. I'm putting myself included. We are very good. And, and, and John Cordova wisely wisely pointed this out. I want to give him credit. He'll be embarrassed by that. But we like to pre... If you don't like it, blame him, by the way. That's like a caveat here. But no, it's very wise. We like to predetermine how God has, how God has to answer our prayers. We love to predetermine that. We love to put the parameters and say, hey, by the way, I'm praying this. Oh, and by the way, this is how you answer it. And anything other than this is not acceptable. Or, or we like to predetermine for God how, to, how God could best answer it. Rather than trusting. Rather than trusting that we have a good Father who knows what's best. And maybe that's how some of us have abused this passage. By trying to predetermine what God's will is. Instead of accepting it. God's ways are not our ways. And we have to accept His ways. And I pray that we would be a people who seek the glory of God in whatever we ask. Ask yourself this, can God be, you know, when you're, when, you're, when you're deciding on something, pursuing something, can God be glorified in it? 
Is this for God's glory or is this for my comfort? Just some questions to ask yourself. Is this something that can be used to further the gospel? Is this something being used to, to further the kingdom or is this furthering me? It could be your time. That could be your, your ability. Hey, Chris, are you playing golf to, to the glory of God or are you playing golf to... Hey, listen, when I was in high school, I played for four years. I won my share of tournaments. Listen to me. My own pride. I wanted to win because I love to see my name in the newspaper the very next day. I'm just being honest. It was not about God's glory. It was all about Chris Basham, unfortunately. What about your talents, resources? Are they being used for you? You exhausting yourself on you? Or are, are you fighting the fight that God has left us to fight? Part of our discipleship that le- is, is learning to see things God's way. Of lining our wills to His. Why? So that we could experience greater things. This is a passage, listen, this is, not just for, this is not just for pastors, this is not just for missionaries, this passage is a promise for every single believer in here. Every single believer. And I, and I put some questions on the bottom of your hand out there just for you to do a little evaluation of your own prayer life, you can do that on your own. But is it, is it possible, is it possible that the reason we don't see this verse more fulfilled in our lives is because we've taken God's resources and we're using them as our own. That we've taken this life that God has given us to be used for His glory and we're using it for His own. If that's you today, I say repent. I, I, I beg you, I, I urge you, command you, repent. And seek, seek to start seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek to start living for His glory. Not our own. And if you're here today and you don't know, you don't know this Jesus as, as Savior, you've never repented of your sins and turned to Christ alone and had His blood forgive you and wash you clean of your sins, I'll be down front after here. I would, I would beg you to do that. I was reminded of that yesterday with my buddy. I mean, he's my age. I, it's not on my thoughts to die today, but I might. And Hebrews 9.27 says this, It is appointed to all men to die. And after that, to face judgment. If I die today, listen to me, I will stand before God confidently because Jesus Christ, I'm looking to Jesus Christ who took my judgment. The wrath toward my sin, the wrath toward all of my sin that God has toward my sin by faith, I looked to Jesus Christ, and He was my substitute. And that wrath of God towards my sin fell upon Jesus. And that's through faith. And I would beg you to do the same, to look to Jesus, to believe upon Jesus, to to allow Him to be your substitute through faith for your sin. And if you're believing in Jesus today, I, I pray that you would get on mission totally and leverage whatever resources you have to His glory.